This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Ken Smethers. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money here on Sirius XM's Business Radio Channel 111. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ken Smethers, a professor here at the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. Remember, we are live every Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. That's 2 to 4 p.m. for those of you in the West Coast. And the purpose of the show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. With that, let me introduce my first guest, uh, Mike Butler, who's the Mid-Atlantic Executive Director of the Consumer Energy uh, Alliance. He was also named the president, uh, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania, <laughs> jumping the gun there, Pennsylvania <laughs> Governor Wolf's Pipeline and Infrastructure Tax Task Force. He resides in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he has a, a law degree from the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for having me. And here in studio uh, with me, Richard Prisanzano, who's the senior economist at Penn Wharton Budget Model. Uh, he came to us uh, last summer after working with the uh, uh, Office of Tax Analysis at the U.S. Department of Treasury. And he's, again, uh, one of our lead guys here running taxes um, uh, 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 for the Penn Wharton Budget Model. Really, uh, the reason why we're so, so successful last fall in getting so much of the tax analysis out. And he has a Ph.D. in economics from University of Texas. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks, Kent. And so we're going to be talking about rising oil and gas prices. And so uh, basically impact on your wallet and what you, what you can do uh, about it. Very subtle sometimes when prices go up, it can have a really big impact over time. So, Mike, you know, really first question to you is, is kind of cause and effect here. I mean, what's driving higher oil and gasoline uh, costs, you know, uh, domestically, internationally? Uh, well, it's a little bit of a mix of things. Um, you know, the uh, energy markets are affected by global uh, impacts. So if OPEC does something, you know, that can trigger higher prices uh, here at home. Uh, other things are more uh, policy-related. Uh, it's the summer season, so there are mandates to use the summer seasonal blend, uh, which is generally a little more expensive. So it can be a combination of, of, of factors at any given time that can uh, move the price uh, that you see at the pump. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that it's not always just OPEC. It's the, this, uh, the oil mixers, distillers, and so forth, the, the end um, uh, process they used to have carry large inventories decades ago. Now they're a much lower inventory-type model, so a lot more variance uh, in exchange for kind of a lower expected kind of outcome. It, it, more recently, it, you said you talked about summer, and certainly gas prices go up in the summer. Was this more on the refinery side, you know, the uh, right at the end, or has this been kind of the OPEC side, Mike? I think currently you're, you're seeing it's a, a little bit of a combination. Okay. Um you know, uh, there are some – the global oil markets, the prices have been rising a little bit recently. Uh, again, in the summer, partially due to the summer seasonal blends, the refining needs, mm. and plus just general greater travel. So you have, you know, supply and demand. If you take those three factors together – uh, I think yeah. that's what's, what's driving the price increases we've seen recently. Yeah, and the refineries, as I just mentioned, no one wants refineries in their backyard, and so they become you know fewer and far between. And again, they carry uh, a lot less inventory than they used to, so just much more variance. So, uh, 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 Richard, let's talk about the impact of rising gas prices then on, on consumers. You, in fact, uh, did a blog entry for the Penn Wharton budget model that compared these rising gas prices 
is, interestingly, to the recent Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, essentially how much of the tax cut essentially consumers gave back in the for are giving back right now in the form of higher gas prices. Why don't you summarize what you found? Yeah, so for the the median uh, household, they got about four hundred dollars from the Tax Cut Jobs Act, as you mentioned. With the rising gas prices getting up to you know about two dollars and ninety cents, they've lost half of that tax mm. cut to to the rising prices. And if we if the prices keep rising, like Mike suggests, due to to the factors, and it gets as high as say three thirty, which is not unheard of yeah, historically. Yeah, absolutely. That group would lose all of the tax cut. Yeah, that's so. That's a pretty that phenomenal. You know, it, it, we think of you know how much effort was put in. You know, you you went through this last fall with me and everybody else. I mean, how much effort was put into the tax, and not just the analysis side, but politically in Washington to get this thing done. And then, bam! One price changes. <laughs> yeah, it eats it away. Yeah, it's it eats um, it away. Yeah, it certainly makes the work we do seem not that important. <laughs> if it just just some dollars at the gas pump are going to yeah. make it go away. Yeah, that put in also comparison. And we also did a comparison of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that the Penn Wharton budget about with the um, with the you know if there was a trade war and the trade war can more than wipe away all the uh, benefits of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. In fact, over time, if it's a full on trade war, could they, uh, more than wipe it all away f- five times? Over, in fact, uh, so uh, uh, Mike, really back to you in terms of the federal, you know, government. You know, what can they do to kind of, you know, ease uh, this burden? I mean, uh, certainly we have a strategic oil reserve, but that's for you know strategic purposes. You know, any thoughts about you know, is this just a temporary thing? And hey, we just got to ride this ride this wave and it's just like anything else that has some variance to it or do you actually uh, have thoughts about policymaker uh, you know being involved more in, in terms of price stability yeah well, i think i think in the short term it's hard for the federal government to implement anything that would help people get immediate relief to get uh, the, the better gains of the tax cut that was passed uh you know this kind of immediate term you know, i think you know prices are up you know, over the last few weeks, they're up more than they were at this time last year. Um, but, but more broadly, I mean, in 2008, you know, kind of before the shale revolution kicked in, you know, we had gas prices up, up above $4 as a national average. Yeah. Now we're hovering around 290 295 So I think longer term to make sure that the prices stay, you know, low by, you know, more recent standards, you know, decades or so, um, is you know, have to kind of keep, you know, you mentioned refinery capacities low, you know, that's going to need to be bolstered. Pipelines need to be bolstered. Other energy infrastructure needs to be bolstered. Uh, I think that is what, in the long term, can keep prices below historically higher levels and hopefully trending back downward again more consistently. But I think in the short term, I don't know if the federal government has a whole lot of options yeah. to provide immediate relief. It's also to talk about refineries just for a second. I mean, no one wants the refinery in their backyard. I mean, it's always been really hard to um, upgrade refineries, make them bigger and so forth. And, you know, a lot of states, on one hand, there's jobs. On the other hand, hey, it's kind of ugly. Um, it can be smelly as well and so forth. It, it, do you see any role? For, I mean, we see more and more states are trying to override local zoning um, to try to deal with some of the you know housing shortage and things like that. Is there an analogy here? Or does the federal government have a role in trying to boost refinery capacity by maybe overriding some of the states? Uh, I mean, that might be hard to do constitutionally, but your thoughts? No, well, I think I mean nimbyism uh, on any number of issues is, is a huge problem. But I, you know, I think you know not only is the the trade off of investment or jobs, you know, versus 
you know, whatever they're pushing back on. But you know, kind of going to this this price uh, point and tax savings we're talking about, people need to keep in mind, you know, the cost of energy. I mean, we all feel it at the pump; yeah. it's more expensive. But for low-income families or fixed-income families, uh, these increases that they can't shake. I mean, it's a huge part of their entire, not just their discretionary income, but their entire, you know, annual budget. When these prices go up, those families are really hurt. So I think we need to keep in mind when we have these opportunities for energy infrastructure, or refinery investments, pipeline investments, what have you, not only are they the immediate jobs in the construction process and then the jobs that you get from the long-term staffing of those projects, but it's real relief to families, and some families you know, desperately need that relief. And you know, it's, it's not just necessarily $400 in tax savings going away. You know, for some families, it's the difference between groceries this week or being able to fill up the car or, or, or what have you. So it's – you know, in the long term, yeah. being real sensitive to meeting and satisfying our energy needs, you know, is critically important to, you know, a real big segment of our of our citizens. Yeah, and I'm speaking with Mike Butler, who is the Mid-Atlantic Executive Director of the Consumer Energy uh, Alliance, as well as Richard Prisanzano, who is with me in uh, studio. And we're talking about a rising oil and gas costs. If you have a question about that, just give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So certainly, Richard, in the past there have been proposals to try to you know ease the burden of rising oil prices. You know, explain what some of these are. Are they likely to be successful or not? I mean, your thoughts. Yeah, so you know, going back as as Mike pointed out in two thousand eight, prices got up over four dollars. Yeah. At the time during the presidential election, both McCain and Hillary Clinton had proposals to to do away with the federal gas tax, mm. which is obviously the lever that the federal government has. The federal gas tax, though, is a very small percentage of the retail gasoline price. I mean, here in Pennsylvania, it's roughly fifty eight cents per gallon, where the federal gas tax is only eighteen cents per gallon. Mm. And then that that tax is actually levied on the refiners. So mm-hmm. it's not paid by you or I at the pump. It's actually um, – it can be passed on by the refiner. So if if in the short run we have a, a fixed supply of, of yeah. gasoline, which I think we – as we've argued, there is, um, then that that reduction in the gas tax would actually benefit the refiners, not the individuals that Mike's worried about at the low end. Yeah, yeah and that's a good point. I mean this is you know, basic economics. If there is lots of competition you know, and maybe over time – you know, a lot of that would be pushed toward consumers with, with competition. Um, but in the short run, if there's not much competition, there's a fixed supply. You know, the, the true incidents may just be, you know, on refineries. And, and certainly, you know, as we saw as when I was working at Treasury in, in that time, we saw a lot of movement towards more fuel-efficient cars, yeah. which, again, in, in the long run, you'd expect. You'd expect people to move closer to their jobs, you know, take the bus, get more fuel-efficient cars, those sorts of things. And we saw some of that. And the federal government could do something like – uh, like they had um, tax credits for fuel-efficient cars and things like that. Sure. I mean, it, Mike, your, your thoughts. I mean, what are some of the – obviously, there's fuel-efficient cars uh, that people can substitute over time. Uh, what are some of the things that, you know, Americans can do uh, to kind of alleviate, uh, you know, these fast-rising kind of like expenses? I mean, you have the urbanites who are maybe not driving cars, and you have the rural people who obviously are uh, d- different people, often this, even with the same income. They're going to have different exposure. What, what are some other, other things they, could, they should be thinking about? Yeah, there are some, I mean, actually kind of some very simple things that everyone can do that uh, it may not uh, be a, a, a big savings in, in once, but if you do it consistently over time, um, just little things like making sure your tires are properly inflated, mm. uh, make sure you have regular tune-ups, getting your oil changed, uh, uh, using cruise control when you're on the highway, 
if you're going out to run errands instead of you know doing four different errand runs where you drive somewhere, think I'm home, and then go out later, do it in one fail swoop. Mm. Um, so you're doing less, uh, putting less miles on in that way, and less starting and stopping the car. Little things like that, you know, that saves a few bucks here and there. But over the course of you know six months or twelve months, you look back in the year and you've, you've actually um, probably saved yourself a hundred or two hundred dollars. I mean, that offsets some of it a little bit, and anyone can do that. Um, a little easier than you know advocating for Congress to to, to change sure. the gas tax, and then, yeah, that would give you an immediate relief that you would see you know at the end of each week. And what about air airfare costs? I mean, it seems like well, that's not in our control, but you actually have some ideas there, uh, Mike. Yeah, well, fair, fair. Um, I mean, those prices are starting to shoot up. Uh, there was one yeah. estimate that over the last year, fuel prices was up 40 to 50 percent. Mm. Um, uh, at least according to to some airline executives, I think it was uh, American uh, chief executives. They have not passed that those costs on yet to consumers. Uh, but obviously, that's not something sustainable uh, over a particularly long period of time. So, something to keep monitoring to see, you know, when those. Uh, fuel prices, you know, impact airline prices. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, travel is discretionary and pushing it off beyond the summer, you know, season when there's a lot of traveling going on. You know, prices are often high. That can have some uh, yeah, in, in, impact as well. Uh, Rich, your thoughts? Yeah, um, and obviously there's some substitution too. Yeah. I think in the summer driving season when the prices got high, we didn't see as much of a drop mm. in the driving as we would have expected because the the airline prices, the ticket prices went up so much. Mm. So they were feeling the effects of the crude oil being, you know, up around eighty or ninety dollars a barrel. The the prices went up, and then people actually substituted away from flying to drive more in the summer. I, I see. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, because you know certainly as we know as economists, you know people feel a little little poor. There's an income effect, and you know people substitute uh, toward. Um, the more inferior good, in this, this case, driving instead of uh, f- uh, flying. So there's about substitution and income effects. It, and so, you know, we're talking about infrastructure a lot in this country now in, in terms of, you know, what can we do um, to, you know, improve the infrastructure. And in the Penn Wharton budget, Milo has also been doing a lot of calculations on, on that. You know, it, it, a lot of the proposals out there are just not overwhelmingly um, – um, in terms of their impact on, on uh, GDP and output and things like that. Uh, some people have been trying to connect, you know, gasoline taxes with infrastructure like highways and bridges. So this may be a political argument for doing that, is saying, hey, we're passing this gas tax, but at least you'll get nice roads as a, as a driver. Um, is there really kind of any reason, um, uh, Rich, for kind of linking the two, thinking about gas taxes paying for infrastructure? Yeah, I think going back, you know, historically, this is the same argument for things like the, the taxes that we see on airlines. Yeah. Um, is that it's a user fee. It was an attempt at a user fee. Yeah. And the per-gallon tax was supposed to to, to, to mimic that uh, a user fee. So if you're driving, you're using a lot of gallons, you're on the roads, you should be paying for those roads. So that gas tax was being used then to make the highway system and the bridges and things like that. You know, as cars have gotten more efficient, people can get more miles out of the same gallon. It's not quite a user fee anymore. And so f- for a couple years, and I think there's some pilot programs out in Oregon and Washington about – just having a vehicle miles tax where mm. you'd say just record how how many miles did you put on the highways and charge a tax based on those miles rather than the gasoline and so the then the gasoline is is price is more steady um, 
and it just depends on how many miles you drive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how this is always a big issue. I always thought that one reason why it was hard to have a gas. A big gas tax in the United States relative, like Europe. I mean, you go to Europe, it's yeah. like wow. And you, you, you first bl- you think, well, this is maybe not so bad until you realize it's for a liter and, right. not, and, not, <laughs> right. and not for you know a gallon or something like that. I mean, it's so. It, it, I always thought the reason why is in Europe the density of the population pretty pretty tight. Um, whereas here, it's kind of regional issue. I mean, you got people like me grew up in rural Ohio. My father commuted fifty miles. To work back and forth, hundred miles altogether in a day, hard to get you know those votes for a gas tax. Where folks in New York City, hey, <laughs> right, right. big thumbs up to, right. to, to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So my dad worked for Mobile Oil, mm-hmm. so it's somewhere in between on the gas tax. <laughs> um, and actually, in high school, I worked in in my one of my classes about raising the gas tax. Believe it or not, it was like a fake Senate we had. So you know. 25 years ago, that's what I that's was doing. That's when they disavowed you, right? <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. That's, right. That's, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, back to the point, I think you're right. I think, you know, when I was in Texas, obviously Texas, a lot more land, a lot more right. people driving. There there was the state tax is much lower to, to, to try to do that. But there is this movement towards the city. We see populations moving towards the city. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to go. Um, but it's, it's a hard move for people to make. It's not a short term you know, somebody in rural Ohio or rural Virginia can't make the easy switch to get closer to their job. It's a long-term thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure we want to necessarily drain all the rural areas either uh, with it. But at the same time, it does seem like there might be some more creative solutions here. I mean, Mike, you must have had the, th- I mean, your, the Consumer Energy Alliance. I mean, thoughts there uh, in terms of what can be done to um, it, it, well, give me your thoughts first. You know, connecting gasoline taxes with infrastructure. Does that make sense to you? And then, you know, how do you then, you know, fit, distinguish or not, you know, between rural and urban? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's. I mean, I mean, as kind of Richard laid out, there's some difficulties in that. I mean, will the tax generate enough as as cars get more efficient and things, and as we move to people having less cars and using you know Ubers and Lyft and things? will generate enough sufficient revenue to, to build the kind of highway infrastructure we would need. Um, and there's also kind of the practicality. I mean, even just contrasting Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, let's say, you know, I'm in an urban area, but, um, you know, we don't have anything cl- uh, close to approximating Philadelphia in terms of train travel. There's only three Amtraks a day that leave Pittsburgh. Yeah. So that kind of travel, there's really no subway. It's very small. It only heads in one direction. So, you know, even in an urban area, that um, it's not a particularly big urban area. I mean, the downtown's quite walkable, but if you, um, you know, don't have as many options for public transport or trains or things to get around that forces people to use a car, I mean, that could be an, uh, kind of an unfair burden that you're putting on, you know, some drivers that, that, that wouldn't be faced by other drivers. So yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a little difficult. Richard, that's yeah, yeah, it's interesting that, that you bring up that for the sort of the mass transit the, the way the highway um, – the gasoline tax works actually is a portion of the tax is dedicated to highway infrastructure mm-hmm. and a portion of the tax is dedicated to mass transit infrastructure. So mm-hmm. it's – the idea is by raising the price of gasoline, we're pushing people off the roads. We should counter that with uh, building things like light rail. You know, D.C. where I moved from, we have a great light rail. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people use that. But it's – you know, it is a big infrastructure undertaking and you need to be able to pay for that. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really great to have you, Mike. Thanks. Uh, It was good talking with you. Yeah, and Richard as well. Thanks so much for coming on. 
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.